Okay, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 7, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, 1 Corinthians 7. I had said this first service, and I'll say it again. There, We've been having um, a number of new people coming to 12th, and some come from church backgrounds, some who don't. If you, if you don't have a Bible, we've got extra Bibles in the back. There, um, there are some green Bibles we have, and we um, would love for you to have one of those. Um, a couple, about a few months ago, I offered some of those and had a few people actually raise their hand. Is there anybody here who, I know it's, if you're shy, you're probably not going to do this, but anybody here who doesn't have a Bible who'd like to have one this morning, even as we look at uh, God's Word? If there's anybody, we can have somebody give you one. Anybody needing a Bible? Nope, we're good. If you don't have one and didn't want to raise your hand, you can grab one on the way back there in the very back center. So, you know, Easter really made me realize that in Jesus, nothing ever really dies, right? So I thought, why bring an end to the identity series? Let's let it rise again. Yeah, amen. I'm just kidding on that. The Keith, the people that have been here, like I've had, we've kind of heard a lot on that. So what we're actually going to be doing this May is we're going to do a month-long series on family. Um, there we go, month-long series on family. And it's not going to be your average series on family. I'm going to hit some topics that I've never heard people preach on before that all relate to family that I think are very important. Um, and so... I want to, to go ahead and dive in this morning. Um, I want to start with a quote from Ann Landers. How many of you, probably it's us gray hairs here, how many of you remember Ann Landers? No, when I say that name, who I'm talking about? Yeah, back in the days when there were things called newspapers, for those in the college age, there was actually a thing we read in the morning at coffee. Um, she had a column in there every week that was very humorous, could be a little biting, I tell you that. I mean, it, it was always, she was making a good point, but the humor, her humor was could sound harsh if you don't know who she is, so I wanted to set that up first. Here's one of the things that she said one time. She said, the poor wish to be rich, the rich wish to be happy, the single wish to be married, and the, bar- the married wish to be dead. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> and that's Ann Landers, okay, so you kind of know. And then she went into kind of her whole point. Um, but this morning, I want to talk about, when I, we talk about family, I want to actually talk with a topic most people wouldn't guess, which is singleness. Um, and I'm going to do that because when Jesus talked about family, he a little bit redefined it. And I, I want to be careful of that language because our cultures redefine marriage and family, and I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. But there were, I can show you several places where he talked about who his family was. One particular time they came and said, hey, your mother, your brothers and sisters are outside waiting for you. And he said, my mothers and brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. And he wasn't like denying them, but what he's saying is the family of God is like a bigger, more important thing. Not the family's unimportant. And so when we look at that umbrella of how Jesus defined family, singleness and singles are a part of the family. Um, and so this morning I want to present a theology of singleness. A very exciting title, isn't it? I'm really good at titles. Like three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I had a, th- a theology of desire. That's exciting. And theology. So obviously, I am not gifted at coming up with creating titles for sermons. It was one thing I loved about Swindoll. I don't know how that guy came up with such awesome sermon titles. But, but So before I talk about this theology of singleness, I need to talk for a minute about two views of marriage. Um, two views of marriage. First is the, the view that you find in traditional non-Western cultures. And in these cultures, they make an idol out of the family. They make an idol out of the family. They are honor cultures, and everything is about honor, especially family honor. It is the highest value in those cultures. So ultimately, the purpose of marriage for them in a traditional culture like that, the, the ultimate purpose of marriage is it's primarily about bringing honor to the extended family, bringing honor to the extended family. So marriage is a means to an end. And the end is honoring the family by propagating the family name by bearing children. So in their culture, that's what kind of marriage is all about. That's why there's so many arranged marriages in traditional cultures and that we don't kind of get. But if you get in their framework, you kind of understand why they're, t- they're just wanting to take all their kids, get them in a marriage, get them having kids. And they arrange things because it's all about family honor. And in those cultures, if you don't marry and you don't have children, you are literally a nobody. Um, we, when we were for the internationals, worked with a lot of students from traditional cultures like this, and the pressure on those y- those young people was so huge to get married to bring honor to the family by having children. Um, and this actually was kind of was the view in biblical times. It was the view in the cultures around Jesus and Paul. Even the Hebrew people had kind of adopted this view. The the Greeks and the Romans 
um, had this view. In fact, there was a, a Roman law that a widow had to be married within two years of losing her husband or she would get, could be imprisoned or get huge fines. So they saw singleness as not a good thing at all. The second view is the modern Western cultural view, something that's really only been around about the last 60 years. Um, and here's what modern Western culture has made an idol. Not the family, but it's made the individual an idol. Individual desires, individual rights, individual happiness, individual fulfillment. That's the thing we've lifted up to Godhood. And so ultimately, the purpose of marriage is primarily to fulfill the individual. In our culture, that's what marriage is about. It's to meet the individual needs. And so marriage is actually, just like in traditional, it is a means to a greater end. And the greater end is to enhance your individual life and your individual happiness. Ryan Griffith wrote about the age of our culture, the spirit of our age. He said this. He calls our culture, the age, spirit of the age. He says the self-centered, pleasure-driven, experience-oriented, commitment-free spirit of our age. And in that spirit, the focus on the individual, our culture's commodified everything. That's a big word. Everything's become a consumer product, right? Just like when you get tired of your phone, you get a new one, or you get tired of your laptop, you get a new one. When your spouse is no longer fulfilling you and meeting your needs, so to speak, you get rid of her or him and you replace them with a new spouse. That's how our culture looks at marriage. And I want you to know that both of those views of marriage, though they're very different, they have both elevated marriage to, an, to idolatrous proportions. They made a God of it for different reasons and different ends, but the same result. And so in these cultures, including our own, they have made marriage ultimate, the ultimate thing um, for some end that they have. And in doing that, singles feel devalued and like they're second rate. And we in the Western evangelical church, we don't fall on this modern Western cultural view. Um, if we're going to go towards one, we tend to go towards that traditional Western. And I wonder if sometimes we don't elevate um, marriage to idolatrous proportions also, holding it up as if it is the ultimate goal of life. And I'm gonna, we're going to look at what Paul says about that in a minute. And as we look at Paul, we're going to see that the biblical view of marriage doesn't agree with either of these views at all, that it's really radically different. And I love Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. God, through Paul, put marriage and singleness into a proper perspective. So let's look at chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Um, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, because through the chapter, Paul goes from the topic, he'll go from marriage to singleness to marriage to singleness. He'll talk to both. He'll talk to singles. He'll talk to marriage. So I'm going to skip the parts that talk to marriage. I'll just give you a quick summary. This is what the chapter looks like if I gave it, if I just sum, you know, summed it up. So in verses 1 to 6, Paul does talk about marriage, and he talks about sexual boundaries in relation to covenant marriage. That's his topic in those first six verses. And then in, chapter, in verse 7, 8, and 9, for the first time, he turns to singles. And here's what he says, if you'll read. And I'm reading out of the NIV. I wish that all of you were as I am. And Paul was single. I wish all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And so he's, he's actually equating, I'm going to stop for a second. He's equating singleness with a gift which would never have been said in that world. Never would singleness have been called a gift. That's an amazing thing he says. But look at verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Again, something you would never hear in that culture, that singleness and being unmarried was good. Um, when I preached a few weeks back um, on John chapter 10 and Jesus being the good shepherd, I told you there are two Greek words for good. Uh, the word doesn't matter that much, but there's the word agathos, which means good in the way we think of it. Like, it's, it's good, it's right, it's moral. And then there's another Greek word called kalos, and it has that meaning in it of being good and the right thing, but it has an additional meaning to the Greek people, to the people who spoke the Greek language. It meant good in a way that was beautiful and attractive. Which of those two words for good do you think Paul used when speaking of singleness? you think he picked the first or the second? He used the second. He says, it is good, not just good. It's good in a way that's beautiful, um, that's attractive, um, very powerful. In verse 9, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than burn with passion. Then in verses 10 to 16, Paul goes back to marriage. He talks about divorce and separation, 
and spends most of that text, that passage, that section on people who are married to an unbeliever and how they relate to them. Um, And we're not going to go into that. Verses 17 to 24, he's going to talk to both marrieds and singles. And we're going to come back to that one in a minute. So if you look at verses 25 to 28 now, he's going to speak again just to singles. And here's what he says in verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, and let me just stop a second. What, people have wondered what's, what was the present crisis. There were a couple things going on. A famine had been in that part of the, the Mediterranean world, and there were, back then, famines killed a lot of people, so there were a lot of people dying. And then in Corinth, just a few years before he wrote this letter, Um, A temple to to Caesar had been built there, and they were enforcing Caesar worship in Corinth, and persecution was breaking out, and there were Christians being killed who wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar. So you could be like two months married, and your spouse gets killed for not bowing the knee to Caesar, okay? So there was this kind of present crisis. But he says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good, that it's kalos, it is beautiful for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. That's good news, isn't it? If you're married today, you haven't sinned. Thank you, Paul. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who will marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. And so part of what he's saying is is that that married people face troubles. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but married people carry crosses that singles do not understand until you get into that. There, there are burdens and there are things that marrieds can carry that singles don't. So then verses 29 to 31. He's going to speak to marrieds and we're going to come back to that one in a minute. I want to go to verse 32. Here he's speaking to singles again. And here's what he says in verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. He had just said the troubles that marriages have, right? Not marriages have, but the troubles they, you know, you know what I'm saying. I want you to be free from concern. Those who are married will face many troubles. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. They're divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good. Um, Benefit is the meaning of the word. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. In undivided devotion to the Lord. And so in this paragraph, Paul is saying that singles can be more single-minded in their devotion and commitment to Jesus than marriage. It doesn't mean that marriage can't be, but it's much easier for a single to be single-mindedly devoted to the Lord. Verses 36 to 38, he's going to speak to both, marriage and singles. Here's what he says in verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, And if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. Um, So again, to get married is not to sin. This is the second time he said that. Um, And I love the language in here of freedom that Paul's that do as he wants. You're going to see this through this paragraph, this kind of language. They should get married. Verse 37, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, again, that freedom to decide, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who's made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, and he who does not marry the virgin, marry her, does, this kind of surprising, does better. Does better. Wow. And I think that's because of verses 25 and 28 and 32 and 35 above, about they have a, they, they're not concerned with things marriage are, and they can be more devoted to the Lord, so they do better. And then verses 39 to 40, the last little paragraph of this text, he wants to speak to widows who become, so widows who are singles. And verse 39, a woman who is bound to her husband, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. That's significant, that when you marry and you'll only marry a person you di- you'll only marry a person you date. So when you marry and date, 
you should marry and date a person who belongs to the Lord who has a relationship with Jesus. Don't get in a mixed marriage, right, spiritually. That's not his point, but I'll point that out. Verse 40, in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Wow, happier? She's happier to stay single. That, that verse grabs my attention for two reasons. Number one, if you were to read that in the Greek, um, they, they didn't have bold back then. And if they wanted something to be in bold, they, would, they could change the word order of a sentence. We can't do that in English. If I change the word order, I, what I would say would make no sen- sense, but they could do that. And what they would do is the w- most important word in the sentence, they would put at the fir- beginning of the sentence. And the word happier is the first word in the sentence. It's like he's putting this in bold. That in my judgment, she is happier. It's the most important word in verse 40 to him. But something to me that's even more critical is that word happier is the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes for blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. So that word that comes from, that we all know from Jesus that they would have known so well of those that are blessed, that's what he's saying here, is that in my judgment, if the widow stays single, she is more blessed. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? So here's what I want you to see from 1 Corinthians 7 that the Bible doesn't support either of those two views that I shared with you, the traditional non-Western nor the modern Western. In this text, Paul is equalizing marriage and singleness like nobody in history had ever done before. I could actually argue that Isaiah and Jesus had done it, but he was, he was elevating, he was equalizing the two. He doesn't elevate marriage as the supreme thing to seek for. He doesn't lift up singleness as ultimate. Um, for Paul and for God, singleness is not a, the curse that many people perceive it to be. It is actually a blessing, verse 40. It is actually good. He says that two times in verses 8 and 26, and twice he calls it a gift. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. This was a radical understanding of singleness that nobody before had ever put forth. And again, um, Something that I think even many people today don't feel and believe. And I think probably some in our body who don't feel that way. So here's what the Bible teaches. That being single doesn't make you second rate. It doesn't make you second class. It doesn't mean you're on the junior varsity team. It doesn't mean that you're perpetually just a runner-up in life. That's what Paul and God is so clear on. In actuality, Paul feels there's actually a very real advantage to singleness, that marriage brings with it some troubles that singleness doesn't bring. And again, for the singles that are here, marriage is a good thing. Scripture calls it good. But there are crosses that marriage bear that singles will never carry. And not only that, he says singles are free, not just from the concerns. They are free to be devoted to Jesus and to serve his kingdom in ways with time and energy that marriage don't have. Um... And so, as such, Paul's saying singleness provides undistracted freedom to serve Jesus in his kingdom. So, let me just take a moment, if I may, and just comfort those who are married here, okay? It's okay to be married, all right? It's all right that you've made that decision. You're not second rate, you know? After reading Paul, I just want you to know marriage is a legitimate option, okay? Don't leave here feeling like you made the wrong choice, Um. He's what, what he's saying, though, is both are okay. He's not laying down a law either way. But in his estimation, singles are happier and more blessed. Isn't that powerful? Like, we never hear that, do we? We never hear that. So here's the biblical view for the follower of Jesus. That singleness is a very real and viable option. I hate that word viable. I couldn't find a, a word that matched that was better. I'll come back to it in a minute. And that one can be single and live a fully healthy, flourishing, meaningful, and joyous life fully. Um, and it's, it's more than viable. It is good, and it's a gift, and it is blessed. That's such powerful language. That singleness is not just a trial to be endured, but it is a gift to enjoy and to be savored. Isn't that profound? We're, we're going to get some more into this text in a minute. I could show you multiple places and multiple ways that Scripture affirms this, actually, Old and New Testament. I just want to mention one way that Scripture affirms this view of marriage and singleness, of singleness especially. Simply look at Paul and Jesus, two of the people who most impacted human history, right? Paul, one of the greatest Jesus followers, um, who impacted the Western world more than anybody. Um, and a person who embodied joy, 
so much he could write a letter to the believers in Philippi, and the main theme of it was living a life in Jesus full of joy, and yet he was single. And then we've got Jesus, our ever-living Savior, teacher, Lord, and friend. Tell me, who has lived a fuller, more meaningful, more impactful life than Jesus Christ? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody. You know, he's called the Son of God, and I've talked about this before. That, that, has, that phrase has many meanings to it, but one of them is the embodiment of God, that he embodies what God is, right? He's God in human flesh. But Jesus preferred, what do you prefer to call himself? Not Son of God, but Son of, son of Man, which means, among other things, he is the embodiment of man or the embodiment of being human. The embodiment of being human. That Jesus was the most fully, authentically human person who ever lived, who ever walked this earth. And yet he never married, never had sexual relations with any woman. He didn't need marriage, nor romance, nor sexual intimacy to be made complete. And I want you to know our culture has it all wrong because our culture tells us to be complete. You have to have romance and sexual intimacy and probably ultimately marriage. And if you don't, if you don't have a marriage partner, that you're incomplete. And I just want you to know Jesus was fully complete. And that's a lie that our culture tells us. So singles, you are not incomplete in your singleness. So we see here in this text, the marriage is not only legitimate, but it's a meaningful option for believers. Paul's here arguing that great joy and purpose can be found in singleness, and that singleness can be a great platform for advancing the kingdom of God and serving Jesus. In a minute, we're going to hear from a, two couples, I mean, from not two couples, from a couple of singles, <laughs> who are going to admit that being single in this culture is not easy. We're going to talk about that. So I was thinking, what would Paul say to singles about that? It's, it's not easy to live that way in our culture. What resources would he offer? What advice would he give? What would he say, not just to them, but I think to all of us, including the marrieds? And here's what I love about Paul. He is so thorough that he implants in 1 Corinthians 7 two passages that give us two critical principles that singles need to hear and that marrieds need to hear. Embedded in this text are these two golden nuggets, these resources that are so helpful. Um, and I preached both of them last September when we went through the New Testament. Um, they're both difficult texts, and when you read them on their own, they're kind of hard to understand. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time actually reading them, because if I do, you're going to spend the rest of the time bogged down in what the heck does that mean. And that's why I preach those. So if you want to go back to September, you can. Um, the first is found in verses 29 to 31. And the, this text is all about priority. I mean, I'm sorry, it's not... It's not, is that what it is, priority? I think I put these in the wrong order, didn't I? Yeah, 29 to 31, it's about priority. We're going to start at that bottom one. Um, here's how I summarize that text today. It's not only about priority, but it's about idolatry because they're actually polar opposites. And here's what I said that morning, that what these verses are all about is who or what gets first place in my life. Um, in this text, Paul is saying that one's loyalty to Christ comes above and before all other loyalties, period that there is no higher loyalty to Jesus, including the covenant of marriage. And in this point, in this text, what he's doing is he's pointing us away from raising marriage to the idolatrous levels that it is in traditional cultures and that it is in modern Western culture. And I think a lot of you know this, that it's easy for a spouse to become the primary thing I give my heart and my attention to, even above Jesus. And that is also true, that's true for singles and married. So let me kind of re-say that again. It is easy for a spouse, either the one I have or the one I hope to have, to become the primary thing that I live for, even more than Jesus. And Paul is saying in this text, these verses in particular, marriage is not the end all and the be all of life. And we all need to hear that, marrieds and singles. Marriage is not the end all and be all of life. The husband's first allegiance is to the Lord alone, and the husband is to seek first the kingdom of God. The wife's allegiance is to be to Jesus and him alone, and she is to seek first the kingdom of God. And the single, their allegiance is to be to Jesus and Jesus alone, and they are to seek first the kingdom of God. It applies to everybody. So 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31 is all about priority. Jesus is to be first in all things. First in all things, 
when I get to the end, I'm going to try to bring these two things together, why they're so significant. That second nugget is actually verses 17 to 24, the higher one up there. And this is all about contentment. That passage is all about contentment. I can read, um, let me just read this one sentence, verse 24. Because again, if I read the whole thing, you're going to get bogged down in the, now, what did Garen say that meant again? Um, verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So this, te- this paragraph's all about contentment. And it's about the opposite of contentment, discontent or ingratitude, ingratitude. And here's how I summarized this text that morning in September, that your external state is not of first importance. Your external state is not of first importance. Your relationship to Jesus is of first importance. So don't make the primary focus of your life your external state, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Rather than obsessing about striving to get out of the circumstance you're in, make your focus um, worshiping Jesus and through him seeing significance in this situation. That's what we're called to by Paul. I'm a child of God. He lives inside of me, right? We talked about that with the identity. He has set me free, and Paul is calling us to, to be free from the circumstances we're in, to be content within them, because the calling of Christ on me and who I am in him eclipses whatever circumstance I find myself in. And Jesus, through me, can, he can transform that circumstance. He is fully capable of working in my circumstance, of using it for his glory, And what that means is as his ambassador in whatever circumstance I find myself in, I can faithfully, fully, joyfully serve Jesus in that place. That's what that paragraph is all about. It's all about contentment, being grateful for where you are. So let me put the two together because I think it's so profound these are in this text, priority and contentment. Priority and contentment. Here's why they're so important. Because Paul knows that many people are convinced that marriage is the thing that will totally fulfill them. That marriage is the thing that will totally fulfill them. And Paul knows it won't and it can't. It won't and it can't. It's easy for singles to think that the path to fullness of joy is in the arms of a spouse. And that true completion and happiness can only come through the gateway of a wedding day. There are a lot of people who believe that. There are spouses who think that, in here even today, who are seeking in their husband or in their wife what only God can provide. They think that, they think single or married, either they make a spouse or they're seeking a spouse to be the greatest priority of their life, thinking that in a spouse they can find what is all sufficient and all satisfying. And the reality is, is I can never be ultimately fulfilled in my marriage or with a spouse. That's the reality. Marriage can never ultimately give you everything you need. Never. It's not intended to. Only Jesus is enough and only he is ultimate. And that's why Tim Keller says, I love this sentence, only in the arms of Jesus can we find the kind of love we're looking for in a spouse. Do you believe that? Only in Jesus can we find the kind of love we're looking for in a spouse. And that, by the way, is why marriage will end one day. And Paul hints at that. In the text, the 29 to 31, because he talks about the present scheme of things will pass away. And one of the things Jesus says will pass away when he comes is marriage. It was never meant to be ultimate, the ultimate thing we've made it, that cultures have made it, traditional or Western. Um, Marriage will end one day. And what we've lost sight of that the Bible is clear on is that marriage is a sign, it's a picture that points to a greater reality. And the greater reality marriage points to is union and communion with Jesus, which is something every single one of us can have. And marriage will one day give away to the ultimate wedding relationship to what it's been pointing to all along at the marriage supper of the Lamb in new creation when Jesus and his people will be finally and fully united and in communion and way forever and ever with each other and marriage will no longer be needed. Because he is more ultimate and walking with him than a marriage relationship. And that's a wedding, I want to tell you. That wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb, will be a wedding that every single one of us is a part of, will be a part of, whether you are married or whether you're single. If you know Jesus, you will be in that wedding. 
So when we see him face to face, the one we ultimately desire, that's when marriage will no longer be needed. So those are the two keys to living as a married or as a single, priority and contentment. What's first in my life? And can I be content with where he has me, in my marriage or in my singleness? Because Jesus is first, and he's the one meeting my needs. And the opposite of those two things is idolatry, elevating marriage or a spouse to the highest level, and ingratitude, not being content with where God has me. So here's how the two connect. If I allow myself to elevate marriage to Godhood, if I elevate it to Godhood, something it is not meant to serve, that it cannot live up to, it will inevitably turn me into an ungrateful person inside of that. Does that make sense? Like, let me, ex- me kind of try to explain. If I elevate marriage to Godhood, if I'm single, I'm going to be frustrated because I don't have a spouse yet. If I elevate marriage to Godhood, and I think my spouse can be to me what God can be, I'm going to be frustrated because a spouse can, is not intended to be God to me and can never live up to that. So if you elevate marriage to Godhood, I don't care who you are, you're going to be frustrated in life. So this, I love this text. It applies, there's so many principles that apply to marriage and singles both. So only by making Jesus first in my life can I experience the joy and contentment that God desires for me in my singleness or in my marriage. Only by putting Jesus first. I want to, as I'm wrapping up, I just want to show you the connection of priority and contentment in Paul's life. Because in that letter I told you he wrote, the letter of joy, the single man wrote, he said a very profound statement of Philippians 4.11. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The contentment I wrote about in 1 Corinthians 7, I know how to have that in whatever circumstance. And you're like, Paul, how do you get there? And to know that, we go back a chapter before in Philippians 3.8 where he wrote this, I consider everything a loss everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If he's my priority, I can be content. That's the key, the surpassing worth of knowing him. The Lexham English Bible, the surpassing greatness. The New American Standard, the surpassing value of knowing him. The NLT, the infinite value of knowing him. And that Greek word for knowing is not just knowledge. It is, it's about, it's experiential, it's relational, it is a deep, communion and knowing of Christ, that that's the thing that Paul had, and that's the thing that gave him great contentment. So I'm armed with, if I'm armed with that dual perspective, right, keeping Jesus first, and because of that being content wherever he has me, only then can I see singleness as a gift and not as a grief. I've got to be armed with those two things. And the gift It may be for a season. He gives some people the gift of singleness for a season. Sometimes it's a lifetime. We don't know. That's for him to decide. But no matter the timing or situation, I just want you to know it is a good gift from the hands of a good father. Hands of a good father. So let me wrap up with uh, a few statements. Singleness doesn't have to simply be a waiting room for marriage. It doesn't have to be a waiting room for marriage. God's best is not just a promise for the future, It's a reality today for every believer. Reality today. And here's the truth for the singles I want you guys to hang on to. That if I find myself single today, I can be certain that singleness is the best God has for me today. And this day, it is the best that he has for me. And this is so important because when I'm constantly looking to the future for God's best, well, that's where I'm always looking to the future, to for his best, it prevents me from seeing the good that he is doing and that he wants to do in my life right here, right now, today. His best may include something different than tomorrow. It may. But it doesn't diminish the beauty and the gift of where he has me today. That's why missionary Elizabeth Elliot, um, who was single for many years after only three years of marriage when her husband and four other men were killed on the mission field, wrote this, having now spent more than 41 years single, I've learned that it is indeed a gift, not one I would choose, not one many women would choose, but we do not choose our gifts, remember? We're given them by a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning, 
and once above all else, to give us the gift of himself. It is within the sphere of circumstances he chooses for us, single married widow, that we receive him. We receive him in that. It is there and nowhere else that he makes himself known to us. It is there that we are allowed to serve him. I love that quote. And I love this text. I think it's so profound. So today, with God and with Paul, let's not be like our culture. Can we celebrate singleness the way God does? And singles, each and every day, I just encourage you to live and see that day. Live fully present, live faithfully in that day as a gift from God. And live it to the fullest for his kingdom and for him. All right, I'm going to have Alice and David are going to join me up on stage. We're going to... We're going to have a conversation about this. So if you guys would, would come on up. This is David Wooth. Maybe a little more centered David, if you would. Thank you. Thomas Jones, dear friends. And I have invited them to to join me in a conversation. This conversation that they're joining me in actually has been ongoing. Um, I've, we met several weeks ago. I've met with, with a number of singles, a few people who don't live in Emporia that I've talked to, and just wanted them to share some things with the body that I think are important for us as a body to hear. And I think the thing I want to start with is like, I mean, what are some of the emotions and the feelings that as a single that you, that you have? Let's come start a with A lot that. of them, a lot of feelings. <laughs> Um, so I just want to start out by saying when we talk about singles, that may include, um, widows, that may include people that have never been married, like David and I, um, people that have been divorced, um, or maybe even like single parents, um, you know, that, that aren't married. Um, these feelings may apply to them. They may not, but I know that we can speak from at least our experiences as unmarried people. Um, especially in the church, sometimes you just feel like a minority, really, um, kind of left out, um, because the church very much values, um, marriage and family and children, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, sometimes you can just feel a little bit left out, um, and a little bit, at least in this stage of my life, I'm like, well, have I done something wrong? Is there something wrong with me? that I'm not married, um, and you, he- you can hear that God's best for me is today to be single and know that, but in, the, in our church body, there's so many families, there's so many people that are married that sometimes you just, the little, the little doubts yeah. enter your mind. Yeah. So, yeah, that, what, uh, what other, some feelings, some um, emotions? Well, you can feel lonely, <coughs> particularly, and I understand married people sometimes feel lonely, too. But um, holidays can feel lonely. And for me, sitting alone in church can feel, that probably down through the years was my most lonely time. Because generally I like being alone. But I feel like in church, I'd have somebody right there next to me. Yeah, and David, you've got a great story that happened here in relation to that. I do. I thought that was in the next section, but yes, I think it was actually my first Sunday here. might have been the second one. Um, There was a little boy who went to school at the school I work at, and he said, well, hi, Mr. Wooth, and his little sister, who I think was four at the time, um, she looked at him and looked at me and said, sit with us. And yes, I know, I felt that way. It was very special, and I sat with them for like a year, that school year, and it was very special to have a little family there. I I checked with Grandma first. She was here with her grandma, so I did check with Grandma and make sure, and she said, yes, we have room. So, um, and that speaks to something else. I know as a single man, a lot of parents are rightfully concerned, um, and you should be. So it's absolutely okay to put your children's safety first. So you don't want to invite every man in the world to sit with you, every single man. But the reality is, is there are some singles who are just good, wholesome people that just 
would love to be invited in. We'll there are. In a minute. Me and one other guy. Yeah, <laughs> you and one other guy. <laughs> we won't. We won't name him. Um, so, yeah. So one somebody I don't remember because I talked to about eight different people, but somebody said, you know, singleness may be the best path for me. I just talked about it. it's the best for today. They said it, but it doesn't always feel like the best to me. I mean, you ever you feel that way? Yeah, yeah. So, so let's let's shift to. What, what do you as guys with singles, what do you want the church to hear? What, what do you want them to hear? Because family is a big deal in the Bible. Marriage is important, right? Having children is important. But I really think it's easy even in the church that we elevate marriage to an idolatrous level. And when we do that, that's not healthy, right, for anybody. So um, just in light of that reality, what are some things you guys would say to the church family? Um, even though I am single, I long to be part of a family. And um, I don't think I'm overstating that. So uh, I don't remember which one of us said it. I hope I'm not stepping on your lines, but invite us in. Um, yeah, I, I love the family. I, lo I actually love looking out and seeing kids sitting with their parents. So, but I'd like to be a part of a family or some families. Yeah, I would just say, um, as a single, we know that you guys have families. It probably was a rush to get to church and to get the kids looking the way they do, and you're just glad you made it, right? Um, so often, we're not going to come up to you and be like, hey, can we sit here? Like, we already, we feel like an imposition in that way. So I guess I would just say, um, if you see a single, you know, walking by and they're kind of checking out, where should I sit? Um feel free to just be like, hey, come sit with us, you know, because um, just knowing that you're wanted means a lot. Um, and also just to say, like, so David mentioned really wanting to be part of a family. Um, I've been very fortunate in just throughout life where people will invite me to do life with them. Um, my roommate and I are both single females, and there's a couple families that we just go and do life with. And that kind of sounds, I don't know what it sounds like, but what I'm trying to say is they'll invite us over, we will cook a meal together, we'll be, you know, we'll be with the kids, or maybe like I joked and said like tidying up with things uh, around the house, um, but like we just, <laughs> we just want to be part of the crazy, right? Like families are not perfect, and we know that, but we have our own crazy at home, right? So, um <laughs> I guess just singles as well, we'll get to that later, but need to take some initiative. But, like, invite us in to, to do life with you. It, it really means a lot to us, and I think it's a, a mutually beneficial um, agreement. I don't know what I'm yeah. – relationship, that's yeah. the word. Uh -huh. And yeah. you have a really good follow-up to that, especially the tidiness part that I love. Oh, I don't do tidy. <laughs> Yeah, she said, we'll tidy up. And I said, no, I don't do tidiness. Um, yeah, you don't do tidy at home, and much I don't less do you won't tidy, tidy up their house, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to say, not just in your home. Um, you know, if your kid's got a soccer game or is in a musical or a play at school or, I don't know, a chess match, um, let us know. Maybe we'll have time and maybe we'll want to go. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Now, when we had talked about this before, you had mentioned just checking in, how important that was. Yeah, so um, as a single, you know, you don't have a partner necessarily to rely on when you've got things that are stressful or things coming up where um, you're running yourself ragged. And it's so nice when someone will just reach out, hey, I know you've got X going on. How are you doing? Can I bring you a meal? Can I, you know, whatever. It just... Um, it's so nice to know, like, yes, you are a single, but you're not doing life alone. Um, yeah. I just really appreciate that. There's a lot of individuals that have, have done that throughout my life. Yeah. So. And by the way, I do do meals. <laughs> not tidy, but definitely meals, right? <laughs> so what would you guys, there are singles that are present this morning in different area, kinds of singleness, but what would you guys say um, to singles? And before you do that, I just want to tell everybody, 
the stuff they share, I think applies to all of us, not just to singles, but go ahead. What, what would you say? What would you guys say to singles? What would your challenges be? Okay. Um, when I was 26, my 26th birthday was my, I was depressed because I wasn't married and had nobody and there was nobody in town. And uh, then my 27th birthday was really happy. And what happened in the year between was uh, the church that I was a part of, we planned a trip to Mexico for the summer. And so all year long, I was working toward this. We were raising money, not for me, but to help pay for the trip and to pay for supplies and medical stuff to take down to Mexico. And I don't know, one day I woke up and realized, boy, you know what? I'm really content. I'm full of joy. And the difference was I wasn't looking for a spouse. I was just looking to serve Jesus. And I do feel like now, although I love the idea of serving Jesus, but I feel like now my emphasis is more on knowing Jesus. I really long to know Jesus and to, to feel like he's as close to me all the time as these two are right now. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't still want to serve Jesus. I think that's a huge key thing. So look for a place that you can serve, maybe starting right here somewhere. Yeah, so get plugged in, you had talked about. And David, when you talked about that when our group met, you said happiness and contentment are not found in marriage, and you realize that. You also saw not every Christian marriage is perfect, right? I, I don't think any of them are perfect, yeah. but some of them are not at all good. And I did know I did not want a bad marriage. I would rather be single all my life than be in a bad marriage. That would be a terrible, draining thing. Yeah. So um, that, Alice, what would you advise to singles? Yeah. What would you yeah. So David just lightly touched on um, getting involved. And I would say, so we've given a lot of uh, push to the marrieds, right, to, to involve us in your lives. Well, like I said, we we need to have some initiative as well. So I would just encourage you, no matter what phase of life you're in, it's easy to just be someone in a pew and that doesn't you know, necessarily engage with the church. You just come on Sundays. But get plugged in. Find something you're passionate about that the church does or serves in and get plugged in there because you're going to find your people that you can do life with and those relationships are going to make your life better. Um, they're going to help you to focus more on Jesus and you're going to not be paying so much attention to, oh, oh, yeah, I'm single, and I, that really sucks. You know, you're not going to be thinking those things because you're doing work that matters with people who love Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and that definitely applies to married folks, yes, too. Yes. Get plugged in because if you're yep. not doing something, you're really not part of the body. Yep. Um, one of the guys that I interviewed who's not up here that I had coffee with, he, one thing he said is, I don't always do this well, but he said, trust the timing. That's something that he, he would advise to singles. But again, that's true in all, for all of our lives, right? We're all in something. We wish we were somewhere. It's just like, trust God's timing with it. So one more thing. Um, you know, is there anything wrong with a desiring to be married? Is that wrong? What do you think? No. <laughs> yeah. Man, he got the easy part on that. I was hoping you'd go for the whole whole gambit. Okay. Um, no, there's nothing wrong with desiring marriage. And I think it's so great, like Karen said, Paul says, if you want marriage, right, yeah. that's good. If you want singleness and you're called to singleness, that's great. You know, both are good options. Um, so if it ends up that you meet someone and they love the Lord, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's a gift in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and while I have the attention of the audience, yes. I'm going to go for this. Yeah. Um, just today when you were talking and just mentioned, like, singleness is a gift. I think it's so easy to forget that. Um, and it's it's not a waiting room for marriage, yeah. right? That's right. not guaranteed. Right. So we have to make the most of today. And I'm speaking to myself primarily, right? Like, I have idolized marriage. I've, I've thought that it's, it's the best thing. Um, and that's not the case. And so just all of you that are, are single and wanting to be married, just just be faithful to the Lord because he will 
he'll he'll fill you up. He'll take care of that desire. Um, and I have something I want to add yeah. that I just caught second service as you were teaching. I missed it the first service. Um, you talked about in uh, our modern culture, we idolize ourselves. Yes, uh, marriage is about me. And I thought, you know what? That's part of who I've become, at least at times in my single life. Um, the same thing is true. I have made being single my idol because you know what? I don't. I don't have to check in with anybody. If I want to retire and leave Nevada and go to Kansas, I can. Why anybody would do that, I don't know. <laughs> but and, and there's so many things like that. In a lot of ways, it's easier to be single. So I just want to, single people, don't let your singleness become your idol either. Yeah. And the whole thing on desire, can you desire marriage? You know, I did a theology of desire a few weeks ago, and the Bible teaches that desire is, is it good or bad? Desire is, it's good God created us to desire. The problem in the Bible isn't desire, it's disordered desire. It's when my desire for something becomes greater than the desire of the Lord, and that's what idolatry is all about. So, all right, you guys did a great job. Um, one thing I will, and we'll give them applause in just a minute. One thing I, I respect and love about this body is how intergenerational we are becoming and crossing lines more of not just singles hanging out and the old marrieds hanging out and the young marrieds. And that's what that retreat was like. That retreat was so beautiful to me. It was so diverse, and people were getting to know each other. So 12th, let's keep working the family to Jesus, the big family is the family of God. Let's keep working at getting to know people who aren't in our life stage because um, I think that's really beautiful. So can we give them our appreciation by honoring them? Thank you, guys. You guys nailed it. You hit it out of the ballpark. All right, would you stand with me? And we're going to pray and, and send you out. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how powerful and profound it is. I just continue when I dig into your word to be amazed at the truths that you have embedded in it. I just pray that you would help all of us, whether we're married or singles, to, to not elevate marriage to that level that of think, something that only you can fulfill, that we would keep it in its proper perspective. So help us to keep you the priority in our life, and that by doing that, we will learn to be content with wherever you have us in this particular day. And help us to all live faithfully and well in today because today is the place where you have us and you have so much for us to do. So, Jesus, I pray this in your good and beautiful name. You who were single, you who were fully and authentically human, you who were complete, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, 12, you're sent.